We appreciate our band, and we appreciate you all for being with us this morning. We greatly appreciate your presence here. You're probably tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it again. Listen, guys, thank you for being here. You had so many options of what you could have done with your Sunday morning, but you made a choice to be here, and we greatly appreciate that. As a church, we have been doing this thing that we are calling the Jesus Series, and we started back in September, and we're going through the life of Jesus in a mostly chronological order, and so many of you have made that commitment to do those readings throughout the week, and we're reading little, little vignettes, little snippets from the life of Jesus throughout the week, and we're reading the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four Gospels, and then Sunday mornings you show up here, and I'm going to talk about something that you read about over the course of the week. And so I know you're participating in that, and if you haven't participated in that yet, you can jump in tomorrow if you like. Like I said, the readings are there in your bulletin. But we're doing this thing just, just for very simple reasons. It's not a big mystery. Why are we doing this? It's not a big mysterious thing. We're reading the Gospels. We're reading about Jesus because we want to get to know him better. We want to invest in that relationship, and we want to be better equipped to share Jesus with other people. And so that is why we're going through this Jesus series. Over the course of this past week, for those of you doing the readings, uh, you read a passage where Jesus addresses the issue of greed in our lives, and that's what we will be talking about today, the impact, the effect, the temptations to fall into a greed mindset. That's what we will be discussing this morning. But before we get there, there's something I feel that I should confess to you all, and I'm taking a risk here this morning, so please be kind with me, church family. Will you be kind with me when I make this confession? Because I'm going to make this confession, and as a result, you might think less of me, right? When I make this confession, you might think there's something wrong with this guy, and you're probably right, all right? So here's my confession. I have this little pet peeve. There's a thing that people have said about me, a term they've used to describe me and my situation, and when people use this term, it bothers me because I wonder, hmm, what do you mean by that? When you call me this thing, when you say this about my situation, what do you mean by that? And this thing that people have called me, this term that they have used is the term blessed. Hey, just like your shirt says, blessed. Oh, Josh, you are blessed. Is there any other human being that can relate at all to what I'm saying? No, nobody, not at all? Yeah, I'm strange. Blessed. It sounds like such a wonderful, positive thing. Hey, you are blessed. Well, let me tell you why it bothers me, all right? I wonder, what do you mean by that? Because I've spent a lot of time around Christian people, and I know that Christians can be passive-aggressive, and I know that Christians can be indirect, and I know that Christians can be polite, but they really mean something ugly with their words, and Christians can be all these things because Christians are human, right? And so when you're calling me blessed, what do you mean by that? Let me give you some context. Every once in a while, I will meet somebody new and maybe somebody that's in church life or a pastor or a church planner. And whenever I meet a pastor, it's, it's kind of exciting because you get to share stories and, and I learn about like, where that person came from and their background. And so you do a little story swapping. You know what it's like to meet new people. Why am I ever explaining this? You know what this is like, right? And it's tough for us introverts, isn't it, to meet somebody new and you got to share those stories. But we push through because it's part of life, right? And so I'll be sharing my story, giving a little bit of the background. Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a church planner, and we started our church back in 2012, and we 
started meeting at this hotel in Essington, and then we moved to this theater in Ridley Park, and then we developed a relationship with the Baptist church. And then they gave us their space, and they gave us a parsonage that goes with it. And uh, we had like four people in the beginning, now we have about 100, and we did like 60 baptisms. And so you're just giving the highlights, right? That's how it goes when you're getting to know somebody. And I'll tell that story to certain people, and they will respond by saying, wow, you're really blessed. You get it. And I'm thinking, yes, I agree with you that I am really blessed, but are you suggesting that I didn't do any hard work to get to where I am? Is that what you're implying by saying that I'm blessed? Ooh, and that's my little pet peeve. What do you mean when you say that I'm blessed? Do you think I just sat back on the couch watching Netflix and eating Cheetos, and God just poof, poofed this all into my life? What about my hard work? What about my sacrifice? What about all of that that I did, right? Oh, no, I've just been blessed. Anybody relate to that? How about outside of the Christian world? Have you ever been called lucky, right? <laughs> Someone takes a look at your life situation they see your, your spouse or your family or your job or your house or some kind of combination of all of the above, and they say, wow, you're really lucky. And you're thinking, what's luck got to do with it? You know how hard I work to get what I have right now? What's luck got to do with it? I worked for this. But you don't say any of that because you're polite, and you say, oh, yes, thank you. I am very lucky. <laughs> right? What is that in us? Some kind of vanity in me, some kind of pride in me that that suspects somebody has an ulterior kind of meaning when they say bless. What is that? Well, I'll tell you what. All of us in this room, no matter how old you are, how young you are, we all have something in common. All of us have a life story. The story of how you got from where you started to where you are right now. That's your life story. And all of us have two different versions of that story that we can tell other people. All of us have two different versions of that story that we can tell ourselves. The one version of our life story, that emphasizes all of our hard work. And I was determined, and I had obstacles in my way, and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I sacrificed, and my peers were out partying, but I was working hard, and I put in those hours, and that's how I arrived at where I am today. Rumpf, right? Then there's the other version of your story which focuses on and emphasizes how others helped you along the way. And I was born into this home, and I had supportive parents and grandparents and extended family, and I had some, some members of my church help me along the way, and I had some teachers in high school that were influential, and then I had a friend who helped get me a job, and that job led to another opportunity, and I was helped all along the way. And for those of us who are believers, we would credit God with all of that. All along the way, God provided and blessed me, right? There's the version of our story where we focus on our hard work and the version of our story where we focused on how we have truly been blessed by God. And both versions of that story are true. You did work hard to get to where you are. And I won't take that away from you. But you've also been blessed by God. And for me to say that, know what I mean, I mean it literally. You've, just, you've been blessed in some way by God. Both these things are true. Both these versions of your story 
are accurate. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, what does any of this have to do with greed? Well, I certainly hope something. Let's look at today's passage and see what there is for us today. We're in Luke 12. <clears throat> and so if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Luke 12 or your Bible app. We're going to start with verse 13. This is a passage you would have read this past week. And in Luke 12, Jesus is doing what he does, which is teaching his disciples. He has a larger group, not just the 12, but a larger group of followers. And he's telling them, I mean, this is what Jesus does. He tells them how to live, what to prioritize, what to watch out for. And so Jesus is giving this, this public you know, address. He's giving this sermon. He's giving this teaching time. And someone in the crowd uses this opportunity to get Jesus' attention to discuss something that's very personal just to him, all right? So that's the scene. That's the context here. Jesus is giving this public preaching time, and somebody stands up and says, I want to talk about my issue. Actually, starting verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I'm sorry. Was I taking questions? What's going on here? <laughs> What's happening? We're just going to call out now? Hey, teacher, you're a good man, and I've got a situation for you. I've got an issue in my life that I need you to address. You see, my brother, he's handling the family inheritance. He's the executor of the estate, and I feel like he's not giving me my fair share. Hey, Jesus, would you talk to him for me? Because you're a good man. You're from God. Would you go tell him he's being a bad boy? What is this? Every once in a while... And this is just, I guess it's just part of being a pastor. Every once in a while, someone will come to me and they'll just, they'll be tattling on somebody else that they want me to talk to. I'm like, what are you doing here, right? Like a husband, I'll meet with a husband and we'll be talking at a counseling session. He'll just list, here's all the stuff that my wife did that's bad. Can you talk to her? What? She's not here. She doesn't want counseling. This happens a lot with parents and teenagers. Oh, can you talk to my teenage son? Can you talk to my teenage daughter? Here's all the things. That, why are you tattling on them to me? That's not what a pastor is, right? And so here's the situation brought before Jesus. Hey, can you talk to my brother? He's being bad. I want my money. And I love Jesus' response. Verse 14, but he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? What, you think that's who I am? You want me to come in and, and settle this dispute between the two of you? And so Jesus, because he's Jesus, because he's one with Father God, he knows exactly what's going on in this man's heart. And so he's going to speak to that issue. So here's what he says. And he told them a parable. He's using this opportunity to teach everybody about something here. And he told them a parable. Oh, first, I, I got ahead of myself. Verse 15, he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, if you're the man who asked that question, hey, Jesus, can you talk to my brother? You feel like, whoa, now I'm being corrected here. Jesus, are you accusing me of being greedy? Well, yeah. He's saying, watch out for every form, because there's various forms, but watch out for every form of greed. For even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions? And so that's just it. Even if you have a lot, even if you get your fair share of the inheritance, even if you have an abundance, your life does not consist of your possessions, and you already know that, right? And he told them this parable. The land of a rich man 
was very productive. We don't know anything about this rich man. We don't know how he got his money. We don't know if he just was born to the right family or if he worked really hard. Either way, it's his money. He's a rich man. And we have this thing, and I don't think it's specific to our modern time, but all throughout history, it feels like those who have wealth are often vilified. And sure, there are some rich people who are villains out there, but just because somebody has money doesn't mean they're a bad guy. And just because somebody doesn't have money doesn't mean they're a good guy, right? You all know that already, don't you? But there's this thing. Have you noticed this? Like the rich are being vilified. Oh, the rich are bad. You must be greedy. Well, there are plenty of greedy poor people too. So we don't know what this guy's story is. We don't know how he got this money. All we know is that he's rich and he had a very good harvest. It was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? I mean, I've had such an abundant harvest. I don't have enough room to put it anywhere. <clears throat> and so he's asking this question which means there was a time of, of debating and deliberating. And what should I do now that I have more than I can even store? What should I do? And then he said, I got it. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain. That's what I'll do. Uh, considering all the options, should I just take what I have? And once I fill all my barns and give the rest away to the people who are in need, okay, that's an option, sure, sure, sure. But what if, hang on, what if I knock down those old small barns, use this as an opportunity to expand, build up bigger barns, and then fill all them with the harvest? All right, yep, let's go with that option. That's what we'll do. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many Goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? This guy just hit the jackpot with this harvest. If I've done my calculating correct, I don't have to work another day in my life. Time to retire. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Soul, well done. But God said to him, you fool. You see that exclamation point there? You fool. This very night, your soul that you're so proud of, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. <clears throat> and so here we have it. You made a choice. I'm going to store up stuff for myself and then I'll be set for life. And God says, mm, but you're going to die tonight. So then what happens to everything that you stored up for yourself? You've heard the phrase so many times, you're probably sick of hearing it. You can't take it with you, right? And that's essentially what Jesus is telling his audience. Hey, by the way, you can't take it with you, and you do not know your length of days. You do not know how long you will be on this planet. And someday, whatever you have, and I'm talking to you, modern-day audience, whatever it is that you have, however much or however little, one day you're going to die, and that's going to go to somebody else. And maybe they will be wise with what you have given them, or maybe they will be foolish. But either way, you can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you. And so Jesus has just told the story about someone who is preparing for their own future and investing in their own retirement, and Jesus is describing as this person as being foolish. And so some questions had to bubble up within the crowd here, right? 
And here's what a good public speaker does. A good public speaker anticipates there's going to be pushback, anticipates there's going to be questions, and addresses those questions. And of course, Jesus, being the master speaker, knows what his audience is thinking. Now, there's this debate. You know, Jesus, hang on a second. Haven't you read the book of Proverbs? I mean, isn't it wise to save and make sure that you're, you're investing in your retirement and that you have a savings? I mean, Jesus, haven't you ever heard of Dave Ramsey, right? And you're supposed to save up for a few months of your salary in case there's an emergency. I mean, Jesus, saving is wise. What are you saying? And so in response to that anticipated pushback, here's what Jesus has to say. He said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry Easier said than done, Jesus. Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, Jesus, as a traveling rabbi, he has taught variations of this same servant in different locations. And earlier in our year together, doing this Jesus series, we looked at the Sermon on the Mountain, and Jesus covered the same topic there, and he's saying it again. Don't worry about what you're going to feed yourself. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about these things that are necessary to sustain life, for life itself is more important than food and clothing. And we're thinking, yes, we agree with that logically, but Jesus, we live in the real world and we have bills to pay, so what are we supposed to do? Don't worry about those things. Jesus continues, verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom, no barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Okay, Jesus, that's great. I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm not a bird, right? I'm a person, and I got to buy food, and I got to buy clothes, and I don't eat what a raven eats. I appreciate what you're saying, Jesus, and I see the logic behind it, and I agree with you. But I live in the real world, Jesus. He continues. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? We all know that to be true. Worry accomplishes nothing, right? No benefit to worrying. You can't extend your life. You can't change your circumstances by worrying. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed himself like one of these. All right, Jesus, but I'm a guy, not a flower, right? And flowers don't have to go to the store to buy clothes. I do. Give me something practical, Jesus. And why do you seek what you will drink and and keep worrying, what you will eat and what you will drink and keep worrying? Why am I seeking after food? Because I need it to live. Jesus? I mean, everything he's saying is logical. Everything he's saying, it makes sense. But there's this thing in the human spirit that wants to push back against all of this and say, Jesus, don't you understand? I got bills to pay. I have a family to take care of. Jesus says, for all these things, food, shelter, what to drink, clean water, what to wear, all of these things... The nations of the world eagerly seek. And Matthew tells us it's the pagans and the Gentiles. It's people who are outside the community of God that are seeking after all these things. But your Father, in contrast with them, your Heavenly Father 
knows you need these things. He knows it already. But seek first his kingdom. And that's it. All the things that we can pursue in this life, all the things that we can fixate on, all the things that we can seek after. Jesus talks so much about what we're seeking, and we need to seek after the right things. We need to pursue the right things. We need to pursue the things of God. And when we pursue the things of God, God will take care of the rest. It's true. I believe it. I've seen it, and I'm not the only one. If you pursue the things of God, you don't have to worry about the rest. Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Now, as you make your way throughout the Gospels, this concept of kingdom comes up time and time again. And when we get to that book of Revelation, we read about this perfect kingdom that Jesus will create. There'll be a time in the future where Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus is our only king, only president, only government, and it's a perfect kingdom, and there's no want, and there's no need, and there's perpetual satisfaction. Jesus, that's the kingdom you should be pursuing. And when Jesus launches this movement that he calls the church, we the church, we Christian people, we're supposed to be a present-day incarnation of that future perfect kingdom. Just pursue that kingdom. Pursue the things of God. And God will take care of you. God will take care of the rest. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to sell your possessions. Sell your possessions <clears throat> and give to charity. And I love what Jesus says this. Jesus can be very poetic. He says, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That's where your heart's going to be. Whatever it is that you're seeking after, whatever it is that you're pursuing, that's your treasure in this life. And that's where your heart will be. Where is it? What is it that you're seeking after? And again, the pushback makes sense. It's like, Jesus, yes, this all sounds great, but what about those of us who live in the real world? How do we live this out? How do we pursue your kingdom? How do we live as citizens of this perfect kingdom and sell our possessions and give to the poor and give to those who are in need? And if I keep giving to those in need, what about my own needs? And if I keep giving to the poor, what about my future? Isn't it wise, Jesus? Isn't it wise to invest in that future, to have money saved up? Isn't that wise? And so here's the thing that those of us who, who are trying to follow the way of Jesus, trying to live out these teachings, we feel torn in two different directions. Because on the one hand, it is wise to have a savings account and a retirement account. Because we know there's going to be a day, you know, in our own humanity, we know that we are flawed and we can't work forever and we can't, earn, we can't keep earning money forever. So there's going to be a day. We need to have that retirement saved up. Because we don't want to be a burden to our offspring, do we? You know, I don't want to become a burden to somebody else because I didn't save up enough money. It's wise to save. It's wise to store up. But then on the other hand, I mean, we do have to be charitable. And I'm saving for a future, but I don't even know how long I'm going to live. And there are people who are in need 
right now, so I should give to the people who are in need right now. Of course, if I give too much to the people who are in need right now, then I'm not going to have enough for myself, and then I'm going to become a burden to other people. But if I give, and if I live as a citizen of this kingdom, right, if I really sell my possessions and give what I have to the poor, Jesus says that he will provide for us, but hasn't Jesus already provided for me? He's already given me money, and then what am I supposed to do with it? Aren't I supposed to take care of myself and my family with that money? Well, sure I am, but I also have to consider the needs of other people, and I have to give to them. And if I drain this account to give to other people, won't God just replenish it? But hasn't he already replenished it? Whoa! That's the tension that we live with as followers of Jesus Christ. And here's what you want from me today. You want me to resolve that tension for you, right? I mean, that's what we're supposed to do in the sermon. That's what a good speaker would do. I'm going to give you a problem, then I give you a solution. Well, you're out of luck today. I have no solution. This tension, I believe, it's not meant to be resolved. This is a tension. In fact, for some of us, we need to turn up the tension, asking the question, God, what would you have me do with what you've given to me? Is this for my future? Is this for now? Is this for my family? Is this for other people? Keep that tension intact. So I'm not going to tell you how to resolve that tension. But I will give you an idea of how to live with it, of how to make your way, navigate your way through life, holding on to that tension. And it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the sermon today, the two stories that we have, the two versions of our life story. Now, if we look at our own lives, and if we emphasize all of our hard work and all of our sacrifice, then we're going to have a tendency to become greedy. I earned it. I worked for it. It's mine. However, once we incorporate the other version of the story, okay, yeah, 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 I did work. I did sacrifice. There was toil and labor involved. But at the same time, I was blessed. I was taken care of, and this person helped me, and that person helped me, and I was helped all along the way. And let me tell you right now, when you emphasize this version of your story, your hands open up. And over here, your hands, they clench up, holding on to what's mine. I worked for this. I earned this. We'll incorporate this side of the story, too. I believe Jesus wants us to live our lives with open hands. Open hands give, and open hands receive. And so we need to work this version of our story, these emphasis onto our story so that we know. Yes, and by the way, let me say this again. I'm not saying you didn't work hard. You did. You did. And you were blessed along the way. And you were supported along the way. Jesus warns us. There are forms of greed out there that he warns us against. And if we live our lives with an awareness of just how much we have been blessed, we're much more likely to give to those who are in need, to take care of the poor, to be active participants and citizens in the kingdom of God here and now. And so here's where I'd like to encourage you this morning. As you make your way through this day, as you make your way through this life, I want to ask you to consider the question, which version of your life story are you telling yourself? Are you focusing all over here 
on what you did, on what you've accomplished? Again, you did work hard. Or are you focusing over here on how you've been provided for and how you've been blessed along the way? You can, I believe this, you can fully appreciate this version of your story without taking anything away from that version. You can fully appreciate how God has blessed you, and that doesn't do anything to take, it doesn't take anything away from your hard work. But my encouragement to you today is to emphasize this end of the story, where you have been blessed. There's this concept that Jesus begins to unpack for us throughout the Gospels, this concept of stewardship, to take everything that we have and not think of ourselves as owners of what we have, but think of ourselves as caretakers over what we have, based on two factors. One is that we have been blessed by God, and the other factor is that one day what we have will be in somebody else's hands. And so this concept of stewardship, taking what we have and saying, God, what would you have me do with what is in my hands right now? What would you have me do? The man in the parable doesn't ask that question. He asks himself, what should I do with the blessings that I have earned? can't earn a blessing. <laughs> what should I do with these things that I have earned? He doesn't ask God. But we need to go before God as stewards of what he has given us. Say, God, what would you have me do with what you have given to me? That's the key to generosity. I'm going to give you one more key. That's this. When God lays something on your heart, when you feel that thing, you Christians know about this thing, this conviction of the Holy Spirit to give, to serve, to sacrifice, when God lays that on your heart, don't talk yourself out of it. How often does that happen? You feel compelled to give, to help your neighbor in need, to help that person who is in need. You feel compelled, and then time goes by, and you start to think to yourself, well, do I really need to do that? Listen, if you view what's in your hands as belonging to God ultimately, much more likely to exercise that generosity. The key to defeating greed is to exercise generosity. And when we do that, we live out what it means to be a part of Christ's perfect kingdom. So let's do that, right? I mean, imagine, imagine this. If every single Christian person, just Christian person, every single believer in this world, right? If we all lived our lives with open hands, I don't think there'd be any needs in this world. We'd get rid of poverty. We'd get rid of hunger. Everyone would have clean water. Everyone would have food. Don't you think that would be the case? If all of us Christians just lived our lives with open hands, we could take care of everybody. We could take care of everybody. Should we do that? I don't know. Should we take a vote? Should we do that? Live our lives with open hands? Make sure we're taking care of people who are in need? Now listen, I'm not the pastor of every Christian on the planet. I'm just your pastor. So how about this? How about it starts here? It's got to start somewhere. Why doesn't it start here? As one local church, why don't we make ourselves committed to this concept of living our lives with open hands, meeting the needs that we're able to meet? Here's the thing about generosity. You don't have to go looking for opportunities to be generous. God will present them. He will bring those people into your life who are in need. He will give you those opportunities. And so when we as a church come across those needs, we don't ignore them, and we don't talk ourselves out of generosity. We give to those who are in need. We make seeking after God's kingdom our priority. Should we take a vote on that? All in favor of living this way, say aye. aye. 
All opposed, say nay. Not everybody said aye, but nobody said nay, so the motion has passed. We're going to live this way as a church. Are you ready for it? To take what we have and say, God, what would you have me do with what's in my hands right now? That is a burden, and it is a privilege. And by exercising this generosity, we will live out what it means to be the kingdom of God. Let's pray on that. Jesus, you know. You know that we have bills to pay. You know that we have needs in this life. You know that we have this temptation to be worried over these basic necessities. You know our hearts. You know our struggles. And yet, Father God, when we turn our attention to your word, and Jesus, when we look at your teachings, you've given us this promise. This promise that when we seek first your kingdom, when we pursue you first, you'll take care of everything else. So, God, we believe it. We see it. We read it. We believe it to be true. It's just so tough to live out. And so, Father God, give us the courage to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Give us the courage to let go of worry. Give us the passion and desire to take care of our fellow human beings and exercise that generosity. Father God, we thank you for all the blessings you've poured into our lives, including this opportunity you've given us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to worship before you, to gather together as your people. And now, God, that this worship service is coming to its end, we pray that you would allow our worship of you to continue. Father God, let us worship you by the way that we love and serve one another, by the way that we love and serve you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.